Ah, it's finally March. We've got all kinds of runoff, and we're looking at the actual spring fishing. One problem, the water's going to get muddy, and how do we deal with that? We're going to talk about that exact topic on this episode of Fishful Thinker, the podcast. I'm Chad Lachance, and you're listening to Fishful Thinker, the podcast. All things fishful, all the time. Hey guys, Chad Lachance here, Fishful Thinker. Appreciate you tuning into this episode of Fishful Thinker, the podcast. Brought to us, of course, by Sportsman's Warehouse, as always. Close partner of ours has been since the get-go. Check out sportsmans.com or go to the local Sportsman's Warehouse. Popping new ones up on a regular basis, including one that just opened in the last couple of days in Naples, Florida, which is my home state, and just in the spirit of being candid and honest i'm actually headed back to florida here uh about three days from now and uh gonna spend a little over a week down there doing some fishing with uh former fishful thinker guide dan swanson and a couple other friends of mine rick gustafson who you guys may know for uh, doing it stuff for fishful thinker uh gonna do some snook and redfish and it should be super fun down there and we'll be dealing with some off-colored water for sure but the difference down there is it will be tannin stain and tannin is what makes water look like iced tea well if you're a western listener uh first of all thanks for listening but second of all uh we are fixing to head into mud season in fact we're already running into that and here in the last couple weeks i've done podcasts about fishing partial open water partial not open water well uh, three days ago at my house here in Colorado, it was 16 degrees. Today at my house here in Colorado, it is more like 45 degrees. And the water, I promise you, is getting muddy in the canyons and the creeks around here. And uh, and I think there's an overwhelming uh, negativity, stigmatism maybe, that goes with that muddy water situation that so many people don't like. And it's funny because... As a trout fisherman, I would rather have some color in the water than have that crystal clear water that trout are famous for. And I think it may stem largely from fly fishing as opposed to uh, conventional tackle. But at the end of the day, the muddy water doesn't do a whole lot to deter fish from feeding. The only thing it really does, in my opinion, is make your stuff a little harder for the fish to find. So really all you do is overcome that and you can catch just as many fish. So let's talk a little bit about how we deal with the muddy water situation, specifically in flowing water, because that's really the, the stuff that gets famously muddy in the spring in the western half of the United States anyway. Uh, and when we're talking muddy, we're talking in some cases borderline zero visibility. Like uh, it's a particulate that's in the water, uh, meaning that it's literally small particles of debris, sand, sediment, uh, ash in the case here in the West where we have so many giant wildfire fires in the last, you know, I don't know, 15, 20 years. Uh, you're going to get some ash maybe in the rivers. You may have some tannin as well uh, this time of year from the leaf debris that, that was on the ground all winter. And at the end of the day, you've just got a lot of stuff in the water. And on top of it, in most cases, you have heavy flowing water as well. Because once you get that runoff starting, once we get that afternoon runoff, it, you're going to get a, a bunch more water that's going to enter the creek system and it's all going to gather and get bigger and bigger. And then if you happen to be fishing a main river, it may get extremely muddy. So there's a couple of key things that can help you, say, in the month of March and, and mid-April. And here in Colorado, what we call mud season, 
Colorado, Wyoming, Utah, Montana, probably Idaho. Uh, it's probably going to go all the way well into May, maybe even June in some some situations. But a lot of time, it's only muddy in the morning or in the afternoon, I should say. The water's clear in the morning because it gets cold. It gets below freezing overnight, and it cuts some of the runoff down. And so the water tends to be clearer in the morning. So the obvious answer, if you're an angler that wants to fish this time of year, and let's face it, we're all anglers that want to fish at every time of year, maybe you just need to fish very early in the day and, um, and then leave once the sun really gets up and going. Now, that scenario does not work for me personally. And the reason that scenario doesn't work for me is, first of all, 12 hours is only a half day. And I don't ever want to be accused of fishing less than a half a day. Jokes aside, it's also the coldest point of the day. And being, I don't know how much time you've spent in a canyon, uh, particularly a steep-walled western canyon, but they have a tendency to hold cold water or cold air pretty bad. And it can be a lot colder in the canyon first thing in the morning because you don't get any sun, all the cold cold air settled down in there overnight, you've got cold flowing water typically, lots of shady areas it can be very cold. So my personal preference from the comfort standpoint is to fish the afternoon when you get the sunshine out because the other good thing about the West is we get 300 days a year of sunshine and that solar gain being that we're 5,000 plus, my, my house is 5,400 feet in elevation. So we get a lot of solar gain here that you might not get if you're in say Kansas or you know somewhere down lower elevation wise. So that helps us a whole bunch. Problem is that solar gain also is what makes the, the rivers muddy up in a whole bunch when the sun comes up. So again, you can avoid some of the mud by fishing first thing in the morning. <clears throat> that's fine if that's how you want to handle it. I prefer to go the other way around and say, let's face the problem head on. Let's go when it's already muddy and I've probably missed a primary bite window, which is happens first thing in the morning when the light first comes up, trout being primarily sight feeders. Uh, light first comes up in the morning, they're probably a decent feed. And then there's probably a lull, and then the sun gets warm in the afternoon, and the water picks up. And that's pretty much when you get the river to yourself. All of a sudden, everybody goes home, uh, particularly all the fly fishing guys. And where I live, we probably have realistically 50-50 fly fishermen and conventional tackle guys on the river on any given day. There are certainly rivers in Colorado where it'd be 80 or 90% fly fishermen. And at which point, if you show up, with conventional tackle in the afternoon, you'll for sure have the river to yourself. Because the other thing is going on right now is traditional fly fishermen at a fairly high level are drifting nymphs. And those little tiny nymphs are almost impossible for fish to find in the muddy water. Because the other thing that happens with that muddy water is it's flowing very fast. So now you get a high speed drift with a little tiny bug, because that's generally what's available to the fish to eat. And as a fly fisherman, matching the hatch is part of the mantra because we're only dead drifting. So therefore we can't really provoke bites per se. Our stuff is just drifting. Now, if you're a fan of Fishful Thinker, you probably know we've done a whole podcast on fishing streamers in the winter. And you can certainly do that in the runoff in the spring. And that's absolutely what I would be doing if I was a fly fisherman. But if there's ever a time for a fly fisherman to put down the fly rod and get a spinning rod, it's the muddy water scenario of spring that's going to be that time. Because I have multiple ways to help fish locate my lure <clears throat> more than I would have with any fly situation. And that's a really important aspect. The other thing about it that 
here's another reason why I like spinning tackle in the spring of the year, like the time of the year we're in right now, March, April, May. The river's not only running muddy where I can't see the bottom, it's also running high, which means I have a harder time wading in it because I have I have heavy current and I can't see the bottom. And that and we also have cold water on top of it, though which makes even more dangerous. But the, the point being, if you wade out thigh deep in the river and you step in a slick spot you didn't see or a hole you can't see because the water's all muddy and you fall in, it's going to be an extra bit of a problem than it's going to be in, say, August when the air temperature is warm, the water's warm and low, and you're not having near the current flow and near the temperatures to deal with. If you fall in the river right now, it's cold, so dangerously cold. So I have a strong preference for staying on the bank this time of year, if at all possible, all the way into spring. If I can't see the bottom of the river, I don't want to wade. That's just me. It's a safety issue. With spinning tackle, because I don't have to worry about a perfect drift, because I can make a long, accurate, much more accurate, and a much longer throw with a spinning rod, I can effectively fish the entire river with a spinning rod without ever getting my feet wet. And... There's very few places in the canyon that I know of, in the canyons around Colorado, where you can stretch a cast out with a fly rod and have enough room for a back cast if you're standing on the edge of the river. And if you're in the river, you got a whole other story, but if you're standing on the bank, you're undoubtedly going to have a hillside, some spruce trees, a fir tree, some willow bushes, some alder bushes, whatever the case might be, you're going to have something that's going to limit your back cast, and therefore you're going to be limited to however much line you can get out with either a roll cast or being creative. With a spinning rod, I can literally stand on one side of the river, make a 50-yard throw to the other side of the river, and retrieve something all the way back. And I've had a lot of people call me out on that. Oh, you can't throw 50 yards with a spinning rod with a trout lure. Absolutely, 100% you can. I've done that. I've measured it. I've measured it with laser, laser range finders. I can for sure present a quarter ounce lure uh, 50 yards across the river accurately with a spinning rod. That gives me the range I need to fish whatever I can see that looks good to me in the muddy water without having to wade out in the middle of it and, and you know, dealing with that risk. So the million dollar question becomes, how do I get fish to locate my lure? It's not about getting them to bite because the aforementioned water is running very hard. So that means fish are burning more energy, right, for starters. Second of all, it's spring. So they're wanting to, to start eating as that water warms up. And the whole reason that they're out feeding heavily in the spring is exactly that. They just came off winter under the ice, and now they're trying to get some food going on, and the bugs are coming to life. So they want to eat. You just got to help them locate your lure. That's why I say, and this is going to be the end of my fly fishing talk, about right, right in here somewhere. If you're going to fly fish this time of year, or if I'm going to fly fish this time of year anyway, uh, it's going to involve streamers pretty much period end of discussion. Maybe a, you know some, some kind of a giant wet fly, which I'm going to fish as a streamer, uh, a big bulky streamer. If there's ever a time to put rubber legs on your streamer, this is it. Or a pistol peat, if you can stomach the non-traditional aspect of having a piece of metal on your fly. I even have seen in fishing up in Alaska, flies that have a little tiny metal spinner blade tied to the back of it that's tied into the fly. Fantastic idea. The reason for all of those things is you're creating a little bit of bulk and a little bit of vibration. And the vibration 
fish can feel with their lateral line. Yes, we say this on a lot of podcasts. Trout are sight feeders, first and foremost, without question. But they still have a lateral line, and they can still hear and feel underwater. And sound and vibration underwater kind of go hand in hand. Both of them travel faster underwater than they do in the air. And therefore, trout can have can use their sensory, sensory systems to help them locate your lure if it gives out a distinct vibration pattern. So that's one of my steps right off the bat. Anything that I'm going to throw in the heavy, muddy water <clears throat> excuse me, is going to have some sort of vibration maker to it. So maybe that's an inline spinner that's got a spinning blade going around and around. That will put off both flash and vibration in the water, help fish locate your lure. Uh, another good choice would be a spoon because it wobbles back and forth. In the case of a spoon, I want it to be very wide wobbling and methodical at this time of year. I don't want a high frequency vibration. And I'll be honest with you, a spoon is not my first choice, but it is doable. Another one that's a really good choice can be a small swim bait of some sort and a little thumper tail, a boot tail. I'm trying to think of different ways that you guys might have heard of them. Uh, Back in the day, they called them sassy shads as a generic name for the whole thing. But it's got a little boot tail that's 90 degrees to the main body, and it puts off a significant amount of vibration when it is retrieved in the water column. As long as it's drifting faster than the water, it will put off vibration in the water column. Excellent choice is a small soft swim bait of some sort, or even a big soft swim bait as the case might be in the river this time of year. Another one that is, in my opinion, one of the absolute best is some sort of a hard bait, whether it be a a jerk bait or a crank bait, either one, that's up to you. The difference really being more than anything else, how you work them. But some sort of a hard bait design, a hard plastic bait, now I can have a, a lure that's got Uh, rattles incorporated into it. So now I have not only the vibration of this lure as I retrieve it that's given off a very distinct vibration pattern in the water column, also I have those BBs that are built into it, the rattles that are built into it that are making sound to go with that. And uh, incidentally, the harder it vibrates, the more noise the BBs make. So you can can get very loud by doing by throwing something with it that's full of rattles. The other possibility uh, is just very, very large baits that move a whole bunch of water. And this is the one that I find I have the most difficulty getting anglers to trust or believe in how big of lures can be very, very effective for trout. And I think it's because everyone just perceives them to be bug eaters. In fact, I'm going to throw a biologist friend of mine right under the bus right here for just a quick minute because this guy manages some, and I'm not going to say where he manages because somebody will go look him up and tell him I talk some smack. He manages some of the most famous rivers in Colorado for for Colorado Parks and Wildlife. He has for a very long time. He's got a degree in it, uh, in biology, and that's his deal. He also is a hardcore fisherman. And ironically, we spent a whole day filming with him one time and we sampled uh, using electrofishing, and we sampled using some nets, and we were sampling one of the most famous rivers in Colorado, and it went really, really good. And he had explained to us that whole time about how we figured out that once trout get over 20 inches and 25 inches, or, or 20 inches, I think it was, in this river, they're almost 100% uh, fish eaters. They don't eat bugs at all. They might eat a few of the Terranarsis stoneflies, but that's it. Otherwise, they're eating whitefish and other trout and sculpins by the ton. Fair enough. So then we get done sampling, 
I believe him on all that totally. Trout have teeth for a reason. It's not to chew many flies. I know they're piscivores. This does not come as a surprise to me. What did come as a surprise to me when shortly thereafter we decide to switch over from sampling to actually fishing, and the very first thing he does is get a nymph rig out with little tiny nymphs and a, and a bobber and start drifting nymphs. Like, well, what are you doing? Well, they're easier to catch this way. I can catch lots of fish this way. Well, he's correct because he's fishing for the highest percentage of fish in the river. Understand, this was a midsummer thing, not muddy water. But his immediate knee-jerk reaction was to go right back to the nymphs because the nymphs are very, very consistent. And I get that. Because you're fishing for a bigger percentage of the fish in the river, there's not nearly as many 20-plus inch fish as there are 20 and below inch fish. So you're going to get more bites with your little tiny nymphs uh, without question. The flip side of that is you're not going to produce the big bites that a lot of us want, or you're very rarely going to produce the big bites that a lot of us want. And in the snowmelt runoff, you might not get any bites at all. But the, the ironic part of it, it was he just spent the first half of the day explaining to us how the big ones eat big baits and, and for a living and then fishes little tiny baits because he just wants to catch a few fish. So if you just want to catch some fish in the summertime, throw the little nymphs. If you want to catch big ones, throw some sort of a, a streamer, a hard plug, a big fly of some sort and give them a reason to bite in the river we're talking about here. Well... In the runoff, you might not catch any fish at all throwing those little tiny nymphs because the fish won't locate it. And if you do, you got lucky and drifted one right in front of somebody. Whereas those great big lures that I advocate year-round work exceptionally well in the muddy water. We filmed a show one time up in southern Wyoming. You couldn't see one inch into the water, and it was ripping down current. There was big debris floating in, in the water, big chunks of willow bushes from beaver dams that were being breached by the snowmelt, we nuked them by fishing eight-inch-long hard baits in the river, and I think the biggest fish we caught that day was about 18 or 19 inches, but that big lure was easy for him to locate, and all morning long, I kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger with the lures, and my bites just came faster and faster and faster, and that's strictly a matter, in my opinion, of those fish locating that lure very easy and being willing to grab it. Another possibility along those same lines, though, is that some of these fish in that particular day were rainbows in a pre-spawn stage, and therefore they're biting out of aggression. They're biting out of territorialness as much as anything else. So that's the other side of it. Uh, you can... You can count on the fact that this time of year you'll have some pre-spawn rainbows, and that's going to help you out. The big lures can be really good. A great big Berkeley hit stick, uh, maybe 11 or a 13 Berkeley hit stick, be an excellent call. A lipless crankbait. Um, we've done whole podcasts on this one recently on the lipless crankbait. You guys might think of it as a rattle trap. For me, it's a Berkeley war pig more often than not. Retrieve that across the river. Again, noise and vibration. Trout are going to locate it easily in the muddy water. Fantastic. Um, a flicker shad can be a great choice in the river. A small square bill can be a great choice in the river in the muddy water. But again, it comes down to the vibration pattern that it puts off and perhaps the BBs on the inside of it. Now, <clears throat> I'm going to tell you that all of those things are the most important, the noise, the vibration, but perhaps the profile uh, or sheer bulk of the bait are the most important. But I will address color anyway. Color still matters, but I, th when it comes to muddy water, I want either pure black, 
pure white or a very hot orange or pink or chartreuse color, uh, like very hot. Like it looks like the lures has a battery in it type hot, like a very bright color. Um, those colors, once the fish uses his lateral line and his ears to odolith bones to detect where your lure is, he will get near enough to it and then he will convert to his eyes and be able to find it. And the colors will help you with that. So we just want something that, that's either substantially darker or lighter than the water itself. This is the only time of year where I get rid of my flash because most of the time you don't have enough light penetration for chrome or gold chrome, either one, to be of any effect. So if I do have something that would normally have flash to it or even a rotating blade, like a, like a Johnson Minnow Spin or a Rooster Tail or whatever it is brand that you like to throw, a lot of times I want that blade to be a solid color on one side, either white or chartreuse or red or hot orange or black, as we talked about, because then I get a strobe effect more than the actual flash or the mirroring. It just gets that color as it goes around and around. It pops in the water column. Fish can see it. It will draw their eyes to it, and it can be a very good deal. But it, the really, the whole shoot match comes down to just getting fish to locating your bait. The only other hard part of it, in my opinion, is you need to be an accurate caster. And it doesn't matter if I'm throwing the, the you know, the swim jig like I talked about or the, you know, the uh, inline spinner, uh, the uh, minnow spin or the flicker shad or the, the big hit stick or whatever. Another excellent one I'll throw out here real quick while it just popped into my brain is a beetle spin. A beetle spin arm is a great call, particularly with, uh, with something with a boot tail or something on it that puts off additional vibration instead of just the straight little beetle spin body that they come with stock. Swap that body out and put something with a little bit of thump to it and uh, a little bit of vibration built in, a little tiny grub or a little tiny boot tail or something like that. Good call on the back of a beetle spin, or maybe not even a little tiny. Maybe three inches long. But again, given extra vibration to it, a good choice. But the other thing you got to keep in mind is it is an accuracy game. And the reason is this. A high percentage of the trout, when the flows come up, get really running hard, they're going to pin themselves to the banks and really, really defined current seams. And they're really going to be stacked there because they they can't afford to sit out in the current and just burn energy, especially this time of year because the current's running so hard and it's harder for them to feed. So they can't just sit out there and burn energy. They have to sit in seams and current breaks or something along those lines that will allow them to conserve some energy and dart out into the fast water and grab what's coming uh, you know, down the pike in their general direction. So at this time of year, in the mud, in the runoff, I'll fish long seams more than I will fish any sort of pocket water or boulder water or certainly no riffles. Everything's going to be big, long runs um, and real defined seams and places with hard edges along the bank. It's kind of counterintuitive, but an outside bend in the river can be really good because it's generally going to get stuff on the bank. The river generally doesn't have a smooth bank. That outside swing, the outside edge of the current uh, in the river will have a lot of deep water and flow in almost all cases, and it will have either a, a seam right on the bank, and I mean like right on the bank, like your lure needs to land six inches from the dirt, 
or it will have small things sticking out, rocks or branches or something that will give little current breaks. But an outside bend in a river can be great. And I'll stand on the inside of the river and make long throws across there. And just you're, I'm literally working my bait for the first two or three feet from the bank, and then I'll wind it in and start again. I use a very fast reel for this scenario, Revo Rocket pretty much always, which has got almost 40 inches of retrieve every time I turn the handle one time on the spool. So that can be an excellent thing is to fish those outside bends. Another one can be any straight shots in the river where there's any sort of undercuts or basically small, tiny turns in the, in the bank, rocks sticking out, log jams, anything that's going to give them a distinct current break or a long seam of some sort is going to be really, really important because they're just not going to sit out in the current between their cold metabolisms and lack of food sources and heavy current and everything else. They're just not going to sit out in that. So they're going to be utilizing edges, seams, uh, things like that. I don't generally like to fish big giant plunge pools because fish get so much chance to look at your stuff. If I am going to fish a plunge pool, it's going to be extremely tight to the bottom. And the problem you're going to have with that in the runoff is those plunge pools are going to be deeper than normal for one. For two, anything heavy enough to get to the bottom of them is going to really be heavy, like pinned to the bottom in the heavy current and then therefore will be snaggy. So um, again, to, not to beat a dead horse, but fish the edges of the river itself and the current seams. And seam being, of course, anywhere where the really fast water brushes up against the really slow water. Uh, and you'll see a distinct edge. Sometimes foam will form there on the surface. Uh, you may see debris in a debris line right there. But at the end of the day, those seams give a trout a place to sit without burning any energy at all and snipe anything that comes down the river for him to get. Uh, the last thing I'll throw out there, and we've talked a bunch about this in the last couple, you can expect that fish are sitting up against this something or tight to the bottom at this time of year. And tight to the bottom being the very common one, um, even more so in the winter, not quite as much so now as the flows come up and the fish start feeding more. But you're going to be in the bottom third of the water column pretty much guaranteed, or you're going to be up against something vertical, the edge of the river, uh, you know, a rock outcropping, whatever the case might be. So those are my those are my deals. I'm not chasing pillow biters so much. I'm certainly not chasing pocket fish. Pillow biters being fish sitting ahead of rocks. Um, I'm not chasing fish sitting behind rocks. I'm not chasing fish in plunge pools and I'm not chasing fish in riffles. I'm really looking at the long runs with the fine current seams and typically swings in the river one way or the other. So that's my don't get grumpy because the river's muddy spiel. Get a spinning rod out. I didn't really talk about what spinning rod or what line. You can get away with murder this time of year when it comes to heavy line. In fact, I strongly recommend it. There's no point in risking breaking fish off. There's no point in risking... Um, you know, babying the fish this time of year. The water's muddy. They're not going to see. If, if I would fish a lure on, say, four pound in the middle of summer, I might fish that same lure on eight pound in the muddy water or even 10 pound uh, line. And the reason being is I can. And if I have heavier line and, and heavier lures, as we've already discussed, potentially larger lures, uh, then I can bully fish a little bit, which means I'm easier on those fish. I love a good fish bite as much as the next guy, but if you want to let him go, 
my last little tidbit here is land them as fast as you can, keep them in the water as much as you can, and let them go as soon as you can particularly the landing. Delayed mortality is what kills trout. Don't play them out. Horse them to you, let them go, and you'll be better off for it. Or, or take them home and eat them, and that's, that's your prerogative, and I do that sometimes too, at which point I don't care how I catch them. So big lures, vibrating lures, rattling lures, loud colors, uh, blacks, whites, and hot colors. Fish the seams, fish the edges, focus on runs, and you'll catch a whole bunch of fish, regardless of how muddy the water is. Just make sure you're an accurate caster. So if you guys would like to join the conversation on other forms of social media, I would appreciate that very much. That would be at Fishful Thinker on Facebook, Instagram. Please, please, please check out our YouTube channel. We post a couple of videos a week there. There's more than 500 of them. That's, of course, at Fishful Thinker. And we would appreciate it very much if you turn into either Altitude Sports or World Fishing Network and see what we've got on the air for you this week. So thanks for listening. This has been Fishful Thinker, the podcast. 